Welcome to the Rough Road Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Steele. Thanks for listening. Uh, guest today is Gary Bryce. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Gary Bryce, and and I've, Gary's. Uh, you grew up here, right? Yes, native Phoenician, actually. Okay. You've lived uh, lived in this house forever. Yeah. Lived in. You grew up. All your kids grew up here. Right. One of my uh, pioneer grandfathers actually uh, uh, migrated to Utah, and he was sent down by church leaders of the Mormon Church to settle the area down there. And they asked him to go down and build a chapel. And and at one time he uh, he told them he said I've never built a building before, but I've uh, to earn his keep and his trip over here from from Scotland. He was a shipbuilder, so he learned how to build ships. And so as he learned how to build a ship, he knew how to build it. And the church said, well, build me a ship and we'll turn it upside down. <laughs> and in fact, the church is still using the, the chapel, the upside down ship to this day. Uh, Where's a, that at? As a meeting place. It's up in Pine, Pine Valley, Utah. It's north of St. George. By Bryce Canyon up there? Uh, no, it's uh, just west of Bryce Canyon. Uh, but he went up there, and they needed him to get lumber down to build the St. George Temple. So he so he lived there in Pine Valley and sent the lumber down. And then that's when they came to him and said, build, build us a church. And so that's still there in Pine Valley. After he was in Pine Valley for a while, he uh, they sent him over to an area called um, it's right off the 89 highway, uh, just east of there, and it's a great big canyon, and he settled it, and uh, they actually named it for him uh, years later. They called it the Bryce Canyon, and uh, that's where he ended up for a while and was there about four or five years, and finally his wife continued to get sick because it was so cold there that he moved on, migrated down to Arizona, whereas he built a couple of lumber mills over in eastern Arizona and uh, up on Mount Graham. And so he ended up building a house for himself, and there's a little community. Were those upside-down boats also? No, no, they weren't upside-down boats. Um, He built, uh, they were real small houses, though. But uh, he built the house... And they then named this community there called Bryce, Arizona. It's just about 10 miles north of a little town called Pima. And Pima is just not too far from central Arizona, where the eldest church just built a temple there. And it's about 20 miles uh, uh, east of or west of Safford. And that's that's where, the Gila, Gila River Temple, right? Uh, yes. And all that's left in Bryce is a post office and also a graveyard, which uh, Ebenezer Bryce was buried there. And and so from there, my, my father worked for the electrical co-op, and he got a job down in Phoenix to work for... Arizona Public Service, and so he moved down to the Phoenix area. 
where he, that's where I was born here in the Phoenix area. And I purchased his house after I've lived here in the same house for the last. So you actually grew up in this house we're in right now? I did. Wow. Grew up in the house. And then when my parents went to a mission for the LDS church, they went to a little island called Mauritius. And Mauritius is off the coast of Madagascar, South Africa. And it's kind of a French colony, so it's a a place where a lot of visitors would go down there and holiday down there. My mother did not like it there, although they did serve a year and a half mission. It was difficult for her to learn French, and uh, she didn't care for all the rats that were in her apartment all the time. <laughs> Can't imagine so, why. Yeah, and so when uh, when they moved away from there, um, I went ahead and purchased a house from them and then moved my five kids over here and, and then raised them here. Wow. And I'm still I stuck. I didn't realize that uh, you grew up in this house. Yeah. It's interesting. My dad told me, he says, you can... I said, when can I move out? That was back when I was 16 or 17. And, and he told me that as soon as I grew up, I could move out of the house. And <laughs> You've never grown up, so you've never moved out. <laughs> yeah, I've never grown up yet. <laughs> and so, but it's interesting. These walls have a lot of stories to tell. And, and uh, it's been a peaceful, calm house our entire lives. That's interesting. Um, That's a cool, cool story. That's neat. So throughout our lives, our, uh, uh, the Bryce family has overcome adversity in many different ways and the struggles and trials that they've had to do. In Bryce Canyon, Ebenezer had to dig uh, canals in order to take the water from Bryce over to irrigate it and start alfalfa fields and and so they can run crops there in southern Utah. That's and one thing Utah does a lot of is alfalfa. So. Yes. Yeah, it's a very beautiful drive up there, especially on motorcycles. They're just little country roads, and it's just a beautiful place to be. But just the trials that he had to, to go through to, to get workers there because they couldn't pay him very much. Um, it's just it was tough to live back in that time because the men were truly men. I right. mean, they labored extremely hard. Um, and so we don't have it quite as bad as as they have it. In some ways, I would agree, yeah. yeah. It's definitely, well, absolutely good. Uh, in, so, in some ways, we don't have it as hard as they did. Uh, in other ways, I would say we have it a little harder than they did um, as far as, you know, some of the... Um, technological adversities that we have I think are a little harder than they have it uh, for sure yeah but uh, definitely in a lot of ways we have it easier because of the technological advances we have so right we're constantly on we're constantly going and doing and with our smartphones that have taken over our lives right no longer can we ride for six hours on a horse to get to another place well, we could, but that'd be ridiculous because we'd only go like three miles. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> but uh, here we have to listen to all of our our podcast and are constantly in touch with our employers and our workers and right. texting and emailing and our wives and uh, yeah. everything, right? Right. And it's just uh, 
So I think we're getting more accomplished now than they did back then. Um, and less at the same time, right? Right. I remember <clears throat> I remember when I was a kid, my dad would uh, – so he was uh, – my dad didn't make a lot of money. And we survived on on wild game a lot. And during during you know October was the hunting season. He'd go and hunt hunt deer, and um, you know he would leave he would leave the house, and we weren't allowed to go with him because we weren't old enough to hunt yet, or I wasn't old enough. And in fact, a lot of times my brothers weren't even when they were old enough, they weren't allowed to go with him. Um, and it was by design because he was a fast walker, and we couldn't keep up and just the way it was um and he would leave and there was no cell phones then there was no way to get a hold of him and he would be gone for a week two weeks and no way to get a hold of him and then he would show up with a big deer and you know it was like (laughs) now you know i leave and i go hunting and i have my cell phone and i have coverage and my wife wants me to call her every night and you know, if I need something, I can call, or if something bad happens, I can call, and it's just totally different era now, right? Back then, there wasn't even phones at all, but, you know, back when you're talking about, there wasn't even phones. Yeah. Um, and now we have the GPS unit set to right. you, no matter where you go. <laughs> Drones to go and track the animals you're hunting, and, you know, there's all sorts of advantages that way, uh, but there's also leashes that are attached to us called phones um, yeah. that... that inhibit us also i think in in a way but also are a benefit also so your family's from southern utah also i believe central central utah yeah little little town called delta middle of nowhere not the end of the world but you can see it from there a lot of dairy cows in there yeah a lot of uh a lot of alfalfa farming that goes along there um it's a pretty small town uh three to four thousand people so it's it's pretty small Hmm. a lot more a lot more cattle than there are people for sure um i I, you know i i know people in town that have more uh cattle than there are people in town (laughs) so there's definitely a lot more cattle um and and farm animals than there are people in the town in the surrounding communities that that go to like the school that i went to so you know it's a a little bit different world than than I live in now, for sure. But um, you know, it's a little bit different. So, but I, you know, that's the way it goes. I think as as times change, you know, we kind of evolve. And I, you know, I can look back to when I was a kid, and things are a lot different then um, than they are even now. Even for people that still live in my hometown, things are different there now than they were when I was a kid. Um, I remember as a kid where I grew up, you know, being able to go anywhere as, as a little kid, you know, four or five years old, just my mom and dad just, you know, I want to go play at Johnny's house. Okay, go. And I could just go, you know, across town, walk, ride my bike, whatever. Um, and now I would never let my kids do that course i don't live in a small town like that but even when i go there to visit i'm hesitant to let them just wander off you know and my youngest is 12 and i'm like i don't know if he should 
<laughs> I don't know if I should let him go, you know, three blocks away to the school and go play at the school, you know? Yes. And it's just different, you know? I, I feel differently about it, but my parents had no qualms with it, to my knowledge. Maybe they did. I just didn't know about it. But I remember as young kid going, and it's just changed now, I feel. Th- things are getting worse, I feel like, you know? I don't, I don't remember as a kid my mom and dad saying, don't take candy from a stranger. I don't remember that discussion ever happening. It wasn't a big deal. Like, I don't remember taking candy from a stranger, but I don't think that was as big of a danger as it is now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. hey, it's evolved worse. So, I don't know. Oh. Do you ever get a chance to talk about the adversities that have entered into your life? Adversities? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I've I've done a couple podcasts about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was amazing. I was sitting here in this house right here in the living room where we were speaking at the time. And, um, uh, an event that happened in our family was really interesting since I'm in the inner city of Phoenix. Uh, my daughter and her husband wanted to go on a cruise one time. So they're going to fly out of Phoenix and go to Florida, jump on a cruise liner. And so they left their two kids with us. And when the boy was two years old and and the daughter was a year old, well, they bought him a little present to play with. And he's so excited about playing with his present because he's going to be staying at Grandma's house for, for a week or 10 days. And uh, so they left it in the front room here. And, and so we all went to bed, and they took off on their journey and caught their plane and were flying to Florida. I got up about 4.30 in the morning to go to work. And as I entered the front room, uh, the front door was open. The screen was locked, but the door was open. And I saw a policeman standing there at the door doorway. And he hollered at me and um, he said, do you have a, a little boy who lives here? And I said, I do, I have a grandson. And he said, uh, can I come in the house to uh, go check him out in his bedroom? And it's really strange to me, you know, like, yeah, he's here. And it didn't dawn on me that the front door was open because uh, usually we lock it up tight every night. Right. And uh, so he came in, he went back to his bedroom, and, and then I noticed the back door was open at the same time. And he then asked, does your grandson have a dog? And they just happened to have, when they went on their vacation, they left their dog with us also. And so we went and he went to the backyard and walked through the open door and went to the gate and saw the gate was open. And uh, he said, I just want to let you know we have, we found your son, uh, half, your grandson, half mile away uh, across one of the big uh, streets down here. Oh, wow. At uh, right around quarter to five, when all the workers are getting ready to to go to work, and is right off of a huge apartment complex that had three or four hundred people living in it, mm. and he's just sitting here on the side of the sidewalk with, with his dog. dog, and they somebody approached him, and uh, the dog just sat there right next to him, and he looked at the dog tags, and the dog tag showed our address as where they lived. 
because my daughter, once she got married, she never changed the dog tag on the dog. And the night before I had even asked her, I said, do you still have dog tags on your dog? And she said, I do. In fact, the address, I never changed it. So luckily, they were able to find out the address where the dog belonged. Nor and then they actually called CPS out. The oh. Child Protective <laughs> Service came over and, and took the boy, and they held him down the street while they came in and interviewed my, my wife and myself about why we were letting our grandkids run around. Well, that have been something if they had the new address. Went there and the oh, house yeah. is empty. No one's there. And meanwhile, they called my daughter, who was uh, still in flight, to Florida. Right. And so when they got to Florida, they received a phone call, which said that uh, this is the Phoenix Police Department. We have found your child uh, roaming <laughs> on one, one of the major streets. Oh, man. And uh, so luckily, after uh, I'm sure it panicked them, and they called us immediately. Uh, mm. But they returned the child to us and uh, and the dog to us and just came in, talked to us for a few minutes. And said, said, don't let it happen again. <laughs> yeah, didn't make any big deal out of it. I know that day my wife made me go buy some locks that were five feet off the ground to lock the doors. And I know that the very next night she slept at the doorway to make sure our little two-year-old didn't escape again, you know, with the right. dog. And wow. so, but that for them was shocking that, and I was thinking, all right, I can now get out of never having to watch the kids go on a cruise <laughs> again. <laughs> wow. I've never heard that story. Yeah. That's, uh, so it's really, you know, adversity, you know, if we'd woke up and found him gone, we would have really panicked. You know, like, where's, right. where's our grandson? And then, and then think of how your daughter would have reacted Receiving that call from you, hey, we don't know where he's at. Yeah. That would have been a very hard call to receive. Right. And make, for that matter, you know. Yeah, but it just happened so naturally and so simply. It was just, just resolved so easily. Yeah. It's just it's lucky that he went down there and that the police were able to find him and that it ended so good. It could have been went so wrong. Yeah, so wrong. In fact, he even took his dad out the next, or when his dad came back 10 days later, he took his dad for a walk around the block of where the dog led him. So he just kept following the dog. The dog took him there? Yeah, the dog took him there. <laughs> so. Wow. I wonder if the dog had taken that route before, like if that was maybe a, a route that the dog had went on before. He could have because the dog used to live here. Right, that's what I mean, and since the dog had lived here before. Yep. Maybe that was a route that it had taken before. So. Yep. Well, I, wa I want to talk about uh, that experience you had when you were a, a young scout, when you guys went to the Grand Canyon. Oh, that was, can. that was an interesting trip. Our, uh, uh, we had a quite a huge... How old were you, first of all? What was your age? I think I was uh, 15 at the time. Okay. And our scout truck troop was very active in in backpacking mm -hmm. and camping but not the camping where you we do have now where you just drive up the, the road and get out of your camper right uh, but we'd have to backpack like 20 25 miles right uh, whenever we went places <clears throat> we'd hike up to the four peaks area in the superstition mountains 
And uh, and when we'd hike into superstitions around Rivas Ranch area, mm-hmm. and that was always a twenty mile hike. So they always. So you've had those apples there at Rivas Ranch. Yes, I have. I've never had those. Yeah, there's uh, an apple orchard mm-hmm. that's that's down there. They, wild apples, yeah. right? They yeah. used to not be wild, but they're wild now. Yeah, just amazing. The I don't. I have not been there for many years. They're still there. They're still there. Yep. Is, is the building still there with the? the I don't know. I just know there? the apples are still there. I've I've talked to um, other scout leaders that have done the same thing in the past few years, and um, depending on the weather. Obviously, some years they're not there because it freezes. But yeah. if it's if it's been reasonable weather and they haven't frozen, you can go up there and get apples. Uh, so, huh. but uh, we always did scout hikes that involved hiking. I think they want to wear the boys out, and our, <laughs> so you don't have to chase them around at night. Yeah, <laughs> um, and the Explorer Post. Uh, one of their main adventures they'd have every year is they'd hike down inside the Grand Canyon to a place called Thunder River. Now, I've never seen Thunder River, but we're going to go hike down there. It's a 20-mile hike off of the North Rim over by Jacobs Lake. And so it was in the middle of summer in July. And so we walked down there with 23 boys, ranging, ranging from age from 18 down to 14. And... So twenty three boys. Yeah, twenty three boys wow. all together. How many leaders were there? I my guess probably be six or eight leaders. Okay. Uh, when we started hiking down, you know, hiking down's really nice, and apparently Thunder River is supposed to be a, a major waterfall that comes out of the side of the mountain, and it's very loud, and it forms a little, uh, I guess, a little lake underneath it. And then it forms a little creek, which finally makes it down to the to the actual Colorado River. And uh, so they uh, we all they'd always take their fishing poles down there, and they'd fish, and it'd be nice and cool in the summertime. And so they do this every year. They did it every year. Okay. And they'd be down there for four or five days. Uh, but on this particular journey, um, we started hiking, and I was following one of the the older uh, explorers, and he said, I've been down there before, and we're supposed to be with a group of younger boys who uh, were walking really slow because we had these big backpacks on us, and we had backpack our own water in and and everything in. Um, And so we'd walk for like 10 minutes, and we'd have to stop and wait for everybody to catch up to us for like 20 minutes. And as a young person trying to get to the bottom of the canyon. You're excited. Excited. And, right. And so Steve told us, he said, I know the way. Just Let's just walk for a half hour, and then we'll wait an hour for everybody to catch up with us. Well, we probably walked for about 45 minutes, and then we stopped and waited, and nobody came. And apparently we had gotten off of the trail because uh, sometimes the trail going down there wasn't just a – kind of a blazing trail. It was over rocks, and and you just have to walk over top of rocks to get to a place. I remember coming to a place that um, we could hear crickets and bugs and stuff, and we kind of looked down over the side of it, and there's a, uh, some mucky water at the bottom of this pothole. 
so how many at this point how many how many people were with you just you and him no there's three of us okay uh we were all together and they had uh they had machetes i did not have a fishing pole because i'd never gone fishing before and so i was just going for the ride and or for the walk right but we got down there and it's pretty soon we ran out of water and uh and we stopped. It was hot. And we knew we were separated uh, completely out of the water. And we continued to walk. And pretty soon, Miles, um, who was younger than I was by a year, he said, I saw some rabbit uh, droppings back there. And Robert and rabbits drink water. So I'm going to go follow the, the rabbit pellets to try to find water. <laughs> Uh, since we were out of water, and it was in the middle of the summer. So all three of you are out of water at this point? All three of us are out of water. Okay. We would cut down yucca plants, uh, the stems off the yucca plants, and we'd suck on them for moisture. Uh, Miles took off. He had his machete with him, left his backpack, and he took off looking for these rabbits. And meanwhile, <laughs> Steve and I were sitting there and and... I was too tired to, I was a, a chubby, chubby lad at that time. And uh, so whenever he would be through with his, his plant that he was sucking on, the yucca plant, he'd throw it over to me and I'd continue to suck on it. <laughs> and apparently we got high on the yucca plant. I know we dug ourselves into the dirt uh, so it was cool. And I remember doing that. And also we had some of these. They just invented a, a new product out uh, called a wet wipe. Uh, wet wipe, we uh, uh, you rip open a little aluminum foil thing and you'd have a little alcohol-soaked uh, towelette. And some people may have heard that. Yeah. And we would put them on our uh, uh, foreheads. It's just so nice. It's so cool. Well, about an hour and a half had passed, and it started to get dark. And at one time, we did hear Miles uh, hollering for us, but we didn't answer him back. And Why didn't you answer him back? We don't know. It's just we more delirious. We cared about ourselves and didn't really care about anybody else. And plus, he had a pack of stuff that we could go through. And we ended up having a, a fight. Steve and I fought over the, the backpack. Steve won. He was larger than I was. And he got the machete, and, and I got a fishing pole. And, uh, and... Was that the only thing that you guys went through his pack for? Or did you split everything out? Uh, no, we left the pack there. But to us, that was the only prize thing that we had. Uh, but he could so you, use. So you were fighting. That was the only two items you were fighting over. Right. And you wanted the machete. Yeah, he he, and he got the machete. But he already had a machete though. Yeah, but he wanted to. He wanted to. <laughs> so anyway, he. Uh, uh, we realized we were in, pro- in trouble, and so we thought we had hiked back to where we saw the pot, uh, the pothole that had water in it, and so. That before it became nightfall, we uh, walked back over to where we saw the pothole 
and we stayed the night there. And then all of a sudden, you know, we've gone through church together and and been taught everything from our parents of how to how to pray and and ask for help. So we finally looked at each other and we said, Hey, I think it might be time to pray, you know, since we haven't seen our group forever. How long had it been since you was, officially got lost at it was, that point? Is this Uh, we probably started at like when you saw that first pothole, and then you kept going down that that wrong path. How probably, long had it been? It's probably two hours separation at that time. Okay, and then another. And you were six already hours. getting delirious. At that oh point. yeah, it was six hours later. That's when we were completely out of water because they told us said just drink the water, and by the time you're finished with the water, we'll be down at the Grand, at the Thunder River. Oh, gotcha. And we'll have water, so we didn't need a didn't need to conserve it conserve it whatsoever but by the time you realized you were lost you're out of water right yeah gotcha okay that's why we started okay i didn't mean to i just curious what uh, the time frame was that you're lost so six hours yeah and then you're at this point you're deciding hey we need to we've been taught to pray let's let's do something let's do something about it (laughs) let's see if this actually works yeah and so we both knelt together and we prayed together and we looked up, we could see the top of the rim from where we were at. Where you guys started? Where we started. And there's a bright light uh, over at one section of it because the rim was vast. Mm-hmm. And we could see forever. And so what we did is we actually took a stick or something and we pointed it toward where we saw the light. And then we thought, okay, tomorrow we're going to hike back out of here. Uh, we got to go find everybody else. And so that night we went to sleep, and in the morning when we could see, we actually lowered ourselves down inside the pothole to fill up our uh, canteens with water. And uh, I remember getting down there, and it was covered with mosquito larvae. It was green. It's really gross and nasty water. Uh but we fill up our canteens, and we tasted some of it then, and I can still taste it today how nasty the water was. And they just invented, uh, we had Kool-Aid, but they had just figured out a way you can put Kool-Aid with sugar. Right. Not, a, not a pre-sweetened sugar, but actual sugar in a packet. And we both had a packet of Kool-Aid with sugar in it. So we dumped a whole packet of of this, I think it's supposed to make two quarts into our pint size canteen. That had been really sweet. Uh, it, was, it was. It had to cover up the the smell and the taste of the mosquito larvae pothole. Uh, but yeah, we did get energy out of it anyway. And that morning, after we got the water, we started hiking out. As we're back up on the road. Or not on the road, on the trail. Finally, Steve got tired of waiting for me, and so he just took off. And then I knew that I had a trail to follow, and he knew I had a trail to follow. Then there I was all by myself again, you know, just thinking, what a mess. I hate camping. I right. hate hiking. Did you ever find and the so, other kid that was with you at that point? No, no. no. Miles is still down there. And uh, so we got up to the top of the rim, and... 
Steve knew where they, he was 16, he knew where they hid the key to one of the trucks. So we got in the truck and we drove all the way over to Jacob's Lake. And the very first thing we did at Jacob's Lake is we had some money and we went and ate. And uh, <laughs> we were talking to the waitress there. You know, I was 15 and he was 16, so we're kind of flirting with the waitress and told her what had happened, that we were hiking and got lost. And she said, well, have you called anybody? We said, no. She said, well, there's a ranger station right down the road here. You got to go see them. And, and then we went over and I called my dad. There's a payphone there. And about five years ago, my wife and I were coming back through Jacob's Lake, and we stopped there to see if the old phone booth was still there, and it actually was. We stopped there to have some apple pie. And Did you stop and make a call on it? Uh, no, it wasn't. I don't think it was working anymore, but, but <laughs> the phone booth was there. Did you stop and, and take so a picture with the phone booth? I don't remember if we did, my wife and I did or not. But... uh I remember calling down and talking to my dad, and then we went over and talked to the ranger station. And the ranger station notified the Civil Air Patrol, uh, which was in Phoenix. And so they said, we have 20 missing 21 boys down here in the Grand Canyon. They've been lost. 21 boys? 21 boys, because we didn't know where the other boys were. Oh, boy. Yeah, just Steve and Miles and myself. But you didn't know where Miles was. No, we didn't know where Miles was. Oh, boy. And so we talked to the uh, the ranger, and he said, well, he said, I want you to go back to where you parked all the trucks and sleep there tonight and just sleep right there on the trail. And the next morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning, we were awakened by a bunch of mules, pack mules, walking around on the trail right next to our sleeping bags. And we were shocked, and... Apparently had a bunch of pack mules up there, and they're going down for ground search. And then we heard a helicopter come in. And so the helicopter landed over by the cars, and they actually took Steve up in the helicopter to find out where we were at. I remember when we were telling the ranger, we told him about a pothole that we were at. And he says, I know where that pothole is. And so they flew Steve down there, and they took the horses down there, and and then all of a sudden, they saw the other boys coming up, uh, the other 20 boys. After after the second day, they realized they better go find us. Right. And, and so they came back up the top of the mountain. Meanwhile, they're looking. We asked if they had Miles with them. They did not. Well, so now Miles is down there, and uh, he had spent two nights now uh, by himself. Without water. Without water. Probably without food. And uh, he said what he'd do, he is, he is pretty tired. He'd come out at nighttime and look around to see what's going on. Uh, but then he kind of slept between some uh, ledges. Try to find some shade. Yeah. And uh, so they, the horsemen spotted him first, and they were kind of afraid they were going to spook him by yelling at him. Uh, but they did anyway, and he waved back, and they went over him. Uh, took him up with the helicopter. They brought the helicopter over and then flew him into, uh, I think they took him right to Phoenix from that point. 
which they treated. He's in the hospital about a week because he's dehydrated, lost a lot of water, and, right, and stuff like that. And so, just a, did you have any uh, repercussions from drinking that water mm, out of the puddle? No, no, just the just the nasty taste. The fact that I never wanted. To. <laughs> now, have you had any contact um, since you've got older with the, with Steve or or Miles? Uh, about ten years ago. Steve wanted to get together and we could talk about it to see what we all remembered because this has been 40 years since that time. Right. And uh, But we never did. I'm sure they're out there. I guess we could reach out to them to find out their story. Uh, heck, it may be completely different than mine. Right. <laughs> you know, it's been, That's been a so, podcast in itself. Yeah. Right there. And so uh, I guess we could uh, reach out to, to Steve and, and Miles. Because I know it affected so, you because now you totally dislike camping. Oh, I, I cannot. Uh, what is it? What is it that made you? I mean, I understand the getting lost and all that. Um, but I mean, even like, even if you're like in an RV, you don't like camping. So yeah. it's, what is it that, because that's totally different than what you were doing. Like going RV camping is totally different than going backpacking. I can understand not wanting to go camp and like right. sleep in a sleeping bag out and in under the stars. I can understand that, but I think my major issue is the fact that I am not in control. That circumstances will put you in a place where you don't have a Circle K a half a mile from you. Right. And so it's been difficult for me to go even go camping. Because I'm always worried about a tire right. going flat. Something could happen. Something could happen on it. And so I struggle with that even to this day. Uh, when my, my wife loves to camp, she'll go out wilderness camping where there's black bear, walks her camp and everything else. And she loves it. She'll go up there for 10 days at a time. And has no problem. But I've got a major problem. Right. Uh, just because I uh, fear the unknown. Just not knowing, right? Yeah. How how has it affected Miles and Steve? Do you know? I do not know. How did it affect? Because did you go camping after that as a kid? Uh, in we, scouts and stuff? We went on one more trip, and that was to Rivas Ranch. And we had some of the fathers going there with us, and we were going to stay there for a week. Uh, but the fathers had to be back by work on Monday. And so come Monday or Come Sunday, I told him I wanted to hike back out with him rather than staying the whole week. Right. And that was the last scout trip. I And they were like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. In fact, my dad was actually on that trip with us. So we walked out. And How did your dad handle that, the whole situation, you getting lost there? What was his reaction to it? I'm not sure. He, oh, uh, they did organize a search parties down here in the valley through the LDS church. They called a lot of different people, and people were starting to travel up there to help go look for us. They had So did they know that you were lost before you called your dad? No. Okay, so oh, when you called him, that at that point they organized the search parties? Uh, probably. Uh, I do know that the news got a hold of it after we talked to the rangers, and that's when they notified the Civil Air Patrol. So, <clears throat> your dad, did you ever talk to him about it after that? Uh, I don't think so. No? He had eight other children he had to worry about. 
<laughs> he couldn't be bothered with, yeah, with this issue. <laughs> that would be that'd be showing you too much. Too much concern. Yeah. It's hmm. just interesting, you know, how we all have different different things in our lives that change us. Right. And uh so I still have the issue I can't be more than half mile or a mile from a circle K or <laughs> <laughs> so um so you still have it, what kind of feelings does it get when you go camping like is it do you get anxious like what it, it it's intriguing to me what I, like I understand, I understand the the anxieties of it because I have anxieties too from my experience. Yeah, that I'm sure if people heard, they would be like, "Well, that's crazy." Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm it, it, it's intriguing to me because it was a fluke thing that happened. Yeah. It was because you guys went ahead and you shouldn't have. You should have waited till there was leaders there that knew the actual way to go. Right. It was a fluke thing that happened. You know because you were following a 16 year old that really didn't know where he was going. And so I don't know, I can kind of put it in perspective, yeah. but you were 15. So yeah. I get it too. Like I, I understand, but at the same time, yeah, I it, just, it kind of, you understand what I'm saying? Like it, it kind of like yeah. I scratch my head and go, I, I just don't go camping anymore whatsoever. My wife still goes up, right. You know, for 10 days every year by herself with my, other children i've seen and, i've seen you go camping though yeah and i'll go up there for maybe if i rent a car i'll go up there because i know i'm safe in a rental car it's a new car and you won't so, take your car um i prefer buying uh, getting a rental car okay just because i'm worried about what's You're going to break. breaking down yeah right you don't have to worry about that and, so, and if it does if a rental car does break down then yeah. You can call them, hey, your car broke down, come Yeah, come get it. <laughs> come get it. Come get me another one. Or nowadays I can call Lyft or Uber and right. get me out of here. I'm I'm done. <laughs> right. But what do you do you have like anxieties about it when, when you're in it? Are you anxious? Are you Oh yeah, extremely so. And so that's why And it's just about the unknown. The unknown. So that's just, what it's about. Yeah. I think so. Wow. I know I've I purchased maybe four or five trailers uh, since that time. You have one in your driveway right now. I've got a fifth wheel in my driveway right now. <laughs> and uh, have I ever taken it camping? No. Well, you can camp right in driveway. You don't have to. It, yeah, it's a wild west right here yeah, where you live. <laughs> yeah, I'm a half a mile from Circle K, so always good there. So, so the psychological hmm. damage. We now, if you, if you went camping in like a koa is that that would probably be all right you'd be okay with that yeah because there's people there like if you if you have hookups if it's wet camping not dry camping you know what i mean where there's electricity yeah water hookups all I'd, that i'd be all right with that because there's no circle k but there's hookups you can use your electricity right you you can flush the toilets use as much water as you want that would be you'd be okay with that you think right and even where my wife goes camping every year, there's a cell tower at the top of the mountain. And they make that hike every every year. Yeah. And we can actually pick up a Verizon Network so we can stream Netflix. Right. We can watch a scary movie out there in the middle of the 
all the black bears that are running around and the and the Mexican gray wolves that that live in that area. Right. And I hear the coyotes every night. And that does that bother you? Oh yeah, tremendously. It scares you. Yeah. Huh. That's intriguing. Yeah. That I understand it because I have my own anxieties about different stuff. Yeah. Uh, about driving and that my whole issues there. I understand it. Um I've I've chose to I've been forced to choose <laughs> to face those because yeah. I have to because I have to work, right? Um and so it's forced me to to confront those and do that. Um, and consequently it, they've lessened a little bit. Um, but I understand the anxieties and, uh, you know, the things that come from when you get put in those situations. Yeah. So well, it has not affected my family whatsoever. Yeah. They love to camp. Your whole family loves to camp. Oh, yeah. They All were, your kids. My wife. That I know. My wife always drives with my son behind her. One time she's pulling the trailer and the trailer wheel came off and it passed her on the freeway <laughs> while the trailer was behind her. And, uh, and she's like, what idiot lost their tire? <laughs> yeah. And so, and my son was right there with them and they found the tire and put the tire back on and right. moved on down the road. But there's, uh, you know, we all struggle with different things in our lives. Some of them are real problems. This one was just an experience I had. But right. uh, when it comes to health and people's health. and That could have been a real things. problem, though, being stuck there and running out of water. Yeah. Uh, you can go You can go a long time without food. I've went a long time without food. It doesn't look like it, but I have. Um, you can go many, many days without food, but you can only go a very short amount of time without water. Right. So especially in the heat here in Arizona, man, it's a very short amount of time. Yep. So... And that could have turned into a, a deadly situation very quick. Yep. So you're very fortunate that it didn't. Yeah. So don't don't downplay the <laughs> the severity of the situation. My my son came home one day from they like to go out to a place called Sycamore Creek. Right. And he took his big red F two fifty four wheel drive mm-hmm. truck out there and it was during the stormy season, monsoon season when the the waters pour in the rivers flow and flood and he actually got caught in the flood and um they have footage of the truck you know falling over Mm -hmm. and him being swept downstream of it but that day when he finally got back while they left the truck in the stream they got back to the house and they all came in the family room they said okay dad we want to show you something (laughs) And I won't, before we show it to you, I want you to look around, and all your kids are here. So <laughs> nobody's hurt. Everybody's here. And then they went ahead and proceeded to show me the right the video of him being washed down the river. That video was on, like, mainstream TV, too. Like, that got sold to, like, crazy, yeah. I don't know, some... Yeah, crazy drivers. Yeah, some... Yeah. Didn't it? Didn't that video get sold to some yeah, national show or something like that yeah. and then they sold it to another company and so it's been on national tv i've seen that video video they in fact what they did to cover it up they didn't tell where it was they said it was back somewhere in alabama or somewhere like that <laughs> you know that the, the, they got flooded yeah out there. 
And it's kind of funny that uh, when his truck was still out there, they went out to get it a week later. And uh, there's a helicopter pilot that was flying overhead, and he reported it during the flood. And my son, uh, several years later, uh, was working for a roofing company. And he went out to the area and, and gave a roof bid to some guy who happened to own a helicopter. And he said, uh, they talked about the Sycamore Creek, and the helicopter pilot said, yeah, I took a video of some guy with his truck. <laughs> and it was him. And it was him. That, that, that. <laughs> did they make that? Did he make that connection with the guy oh, or he, no? Yeah, yeah. They, he fessed up? Yeah, they made the connection. And actually, uh, my son got fined for it, cited for polluting the streams. Right. And so he had to pay a fine for doing that. Interesting. What I always thought was uh, most interesting about that video was, because if I remember right from that video, when it started to go over, your son jumped out of the truck right, and got to shore, and his friend, Brant, he didn't know that, and I remember he jumped into that river to go yeah. get them out of the truck. Yeah. I, I remember seeing that. And that's like, and if you see, if if you've seen the video, you know how rampant that that river was, the stream was at the time. That's crazy to yeah. think about. Well, Brant thought that uh, my son's daughter right. was in there, Brooklyn, right? Yeah, and so he, right, was worried about that. Luckily, Brooklyn was already out before Brooks even took went his, in there, yeah, right? Trying to cross the river. Super brave so, of Brant to even go in there. Yeah. Um. I like to think I would do that, but I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I'm too much of a wuss. Um, I, not that I'm a wuss. Um, I don't know that I would be able to. I think my mind would say, "There's no way I can hold up against yeah. that current." But Brant was thinking her life's more important than mine. And I think Brant might have had a six pack or twelve he, pack he, behind him. He probably did. And so <laughs> he had the beer bravest yeah. on him. Yeah. Uh, I know my other son was out there at the same time. He had his. Uh, Hummer, right? His H one was out there. And, yep, and they're going to hook that up to it, pull it, and yep. uh, try to pull it back out. And at the one time that Brooks went to to get out of the truck, he got stuck in between the the tie rope that was hooked to the Hummer and pinned next to his truck, where the current was keeping him down, and so he's almost getting locked, drowned, right, underneath water. Yeah, but when they assured me when they came in the family room, said, everyone's here. <laughs> yeah, everybody's here. Was Brant here then? Did he come with him so you knew he was safe too, or you wouldn't have cared anyway? I do not remember. God rest his soul. Yeah, Brant is no longer with us. Had an accident, passed many years ago. He did. Good, good old boy. But it's amazing how life. And as as you mentioned earlier about how you, it's how you react to things. Um, I knew I could live my life without going camping again. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but there's other tragedies that help people and and issues that uh, they probably wonder day to day how they why they're even still here on this earth. I wondered that for them. years. Uh, I've I've talked about it on my podcast, and 
I, uh, I wondered for many years why, why I was spared and, and the person that I hit wasn't. And I would have willingly gave my life up for him. Yeah. Willingly. Um, and I still, I would do that in a heartbeat still to this day. Um, willingly trade my life for his. Um, and I don't, and I don't say that to, you know, be, you know, this, you know, strong, you know, Hey, look at me, you know, um, I say that because, um, I feel bad for his family and his kids because of what they've had to go through because of that day. And so, um, I would gladly give up, give my, give up my life for them to be able to spend more time with their, with their dad and their husband. Um, and I, and I know that that would be taken away from my family, but my, my family's been blessed. They've, you know, they've, they've had a, they've had a good, you know, they've had a good life and, and I feel like I've got, you know, every day is a, every day is a bonus day in, in my opinion for, for me and my family. So, um, and so that's why I say that I, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, it may, it may come off sounding like, you know, I'm an a-hole yeah. for saying that, but that, that's not the way I mean it, you know? Well, I remember the days that you were going through, right? Uh, even six months later, mm-hmm. you know, you're just every day you're just going through the moments and movements mm-hmm. of going through the day, yep. and, but it affected you deeply. Yeah. Uh, and and we just got to move on. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's hard to hear that in the moment too, because um, you know. It's not easy. It's not easy to move on, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not. But it's true. You do. You just gotta move on with life, and yeah. And you it, never. You never know what. You never know when life's gonna end, and so you just gotta enjoy it while you have it. So that is so true. And yeah. so I try to enjoy every moment yeah. now. And that's where your faith that you have sustains you. And that's so important in our lives. Right. Well, and I try to, me personally, I try to, you know, show my kids, my family that I care about them, that they're most important to me. Um all the time because, um, you know, I drive a lot every day and I could, I could wreck any day and be gone. And, you know, my my life could be over the second I leave your house today or the second I leave my house in the morning or throughout the day when I'm driving, you know, the hundreds of miles that I drive every day. And so, you know, 
I need I need my kids and my family to know that you know that they're important to me and that they're my number one priority you know hmm. and I don't I don't know the reason that's important to me now and I and not that it wasn't important before but um it was but I didn't always show it and uh the reason it's important to me now is cuz it kind of puts it in perspective um the day the day that I had my accident I don't know the relationship that that this person had with his family I have no idea I don't I've never had the opportunity to meet um his wife or his kids I didn't know him um all I know is um all I know is what people have said about him on his Facebook and what his wife said about him on his Facebook and his kids. And that's all I know about him. Um, and obviously, you know, when someone dies, all people say about you is <laughs> nice things. They don't, yeah. they don't typically say anything bad about you. <laughs> um, but that's all I've heard is nice things about him and how he loved his kids and his wife and, and they were everything to him. Um, but I don't know, I don't know how he left that morning on his way to work that day. I don't know if they had a fight the night before, if his wife and him had a fight. I don't know if he told his kids he loved him that morning, loved them that morning. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that I don't want my kids or my family to, to not know that, that I do love them and that I care about them. Um... Because the likelihood of me getting in a car accident, because of how much I drive, are a lot more like a lot more, a lot higher statistically than most people because I drive right. so much. So many miles. So, I I know I've presided over many funerals the last two three years, and it's amazing how all of a sudden some jerks that are here in this life turn into good people. Right. <laughs> right when you start. It's amazing how how much of a jerk I am, and people think I'm a good guy. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I say all the time that uh, I'm a I'm a, a special a hole, and the reason I'm a special a hole uh, is because of the way I view things. Um, and. Uh, but no one's going to say that at my funeral, I don't think, because you don't say that at people's funeral. But I'm going to confirm that right now. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I appreciate you uh, being willing to come on here and uh, discuss these hard times and experiences that you've had and experiences that your ancestors have had, yeah. uh, being willing to be open about it and share these things i know sometimes they're not hard to i know sometimes they are hard to discuss and talk about openly so right. i appreciate it sure i know as uh, uh being a bishop of the church that i go to is i get to hear so many stories about members and trials that they go through daily right and uh and my experiences are nowhere close to the pain and sorrow that they feel, you know. And so it's universal. Well, I think you, I think as a religious leader, a bishop, 
you hearing those stories, I, I feel that you hearing those stories and um, being involved in the, in the recovery process of those things kind of intertwines you and burdens you with those. So in a way, you're kind of burdened with those. And though you didn't go through those trials yourself, you're burdened with those and, and intertwined with that recovery process. So I think in a, in a weird way, I, I kind of feel like you're involved in, in the trial in a way, you know, does that, does that make sense? It does. The feelings that I get as I speak with the emotions, right? The emotions are there and you feel everything that the person feels. And that's just amazing. Right. And it gives me gratitude in my heart that I don't have to go through Right. All of that and you can learn from their experience, right? Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about doing this is I, as I've talked to a bunch of different people, um, you know, now you're the, the ninth person that I've had on, well, this is the ninth episode. Um, so you're the, the eighth uh, different person I've had on the show. I kind of feel the same way as I've talked to different people about their struggles and hardships that they've went through and that I, I kind of feel like, man, I'm glad I didn't have to go through that. Mine was a lot easier than what they, <laughs> what they, and but in return, you know, as 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 you know, some people that I've talked to that know my situation, go, man, I'm glad I didn't have to go through what you did because yeah. it was terrible, <laughs> you know. And it's just perspective, right? You know, um, my my burdens are mine, and yours are yours, and you know, I look at mine and go, man, my, you know, yeah, it sucked when it was going through it, but. We got through it, and and looking back on it, man, it wasn't that bad. It was bad, but it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as, you know, Joe over here that right. <laughs> went through, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, it, it could be a lot worse, you know. Um, and I, I think it's important to remember that, you know, ours, our struggles are our struggles, and they're ours because that's what's going to be hard for us and that we can learn the most from. So, So I think as as you go and help people get through their struggles, you, you take on some of that burden and you learn from it. And, and I think as, as people, humans, and as we go to bear one another's burdens, we take on some of the burden of that and, and help people through that. I think it, it helps us grow and helps us become better as, as people. So and that's part of the goal here. I think it so. is. But like I say, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing that. Well, thank you. Um, for those that uh, tuned in for the first time, you uh, you were, heard some great stories. And those that uh, have uh, listened before, thanks for coming back and listening. Um, stay tuned for more episodes. Thanks. Bye.